My name's Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode 158 of the podcast that you have come to listen to every week to hear the journey through the Marvel superhero universe of characters. And this episode, we are finishing the halfway point of 1967. I mean, I remember starting 1967. I feel like I was, you know, just a few weeks ago. Yeah. Here we are. I was only 45. Right? So long ago. I'm still 45. So, hmm, weird. But our president is no longer 45. Oh, we are now that's 46. true. Yes. Nice. All right. So, in this episode, we're going to be covering Amazing Spider-Man 52 and The X-Men 35 to finish up June. And then diving into July with Sergeant Fury 46 and Strange Tales 161. It's a tunic tonight, guys. Tunic. We're wearing tunics because we have two Nick stories. Mm-hmm. I put on this but tunic and everyone was we also It's also an episode that has both Spider-Man and Captain America. I don't know if that happens all the time. Oh, that does not happen very often. That's pretty great. And actually, this has two Spider-Mans, which is back-to-back Spider-Man. So even weirder. What? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, because of the thing. Now, before you get into this one, have we noticed before that his um, corner box has changed? Um, I don't think I ever notice these things until you say, hey, his corner box has changed. But last issue was the same. <laughs> The one prior um, was the same, so it's been a while since it changed. It was a floating head for a while. It was a Ditko well, floating head, and then it got re-inked and was a different, very similar floating head. This is an image from uh, Amazing Spider-Man Annual 2, when he's like standing there on the cover uh, with Doctor Strange stuff happening in the background. I think well, that's right. I didn't double-check that fact, but I think that's right. It's been since issue 48 that it's been like that. So Okay. So it's, but I'm just you're right. Before noticing. that, it was a floating head. It's cool. Um, oh, this is me, huh? This is you. Oh, the Amazing Spider-Man. Ready for you to be amazing. To die a hero. Spidey has been defeated by the deceptively powerful Kingpin. You mistake my f- girth for fat. While trying to save a bewildered J. Jonah Jameson. And now, the fantastic finale. Produced and presented by Stan the Man Lee and John Ring-a-Ding Ramita. Embellished by Mickey DeMeo, lettered by Sam Rosen. So, yeah, Spider-Man is out cold, and two dudes are carrying down the stairs, and a third guy is carrying a very awake and very panicky J. Jonah Jameson down the stairs. I guess the Kingpin's Tower has, like, a well or something in it. And in this well is, like, bondage devices, so clearly he's used this before to dispatch his victims. Um, they lock both of them up. They're kind of like back-to-back, uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade style, uh, but Spidey's unconscious. And then the well starts filling with water, and they leave him there to die. And the kingpin's like, yeah, we just won't watch. What? What could go wrong? Nothing. Um, so while they're oh, not well. watching, while they're not watching in the oh well, J. Jonah Jameson screams loud enough to finally wake Spider-Man up. He snaps out of his bindings, boundings, bindings, and starts spraying the place with webbing. Uh, We cut to Ned Leeds, who is worried that J. Jonah Jameson is not in the office. He asks this city editor guy named Robertson to what he should do, and Robertson's like, you should go look for him. Um, You're the new crime guy for right now because we can't find Foswell either. And Betty's like, no, don't be the crime guy. And she's like, I'll be okay, babe. And he leaves, and she's like thinking, but but, but the whole point of dumping Peter and hooking up with you was that Peter was always doing dangerous things, and now you're going to do dangerous. Oh, Betty Brant, you cannot get a break. 
Anyway, cut back to Spidey. He's doing one of those web things that Mike hates where he makes like this giant airtight bubble and it lets him <laughs> Out of porous float. material. <laughs> and, it, and it lets him float onto the water. The kingpin and all of them are just standing outside waiting and they're finally like, okay, it's been long enough. Go in. And they find that they're not dead. They're in a bubble. And Spider-Man breaks out of that bubble and beats up the bad guys. Um, then he kind of like spends the issue slowly making his way through all the bad guys and through the tower and the city or the, uh, you know, wherever they are, the city, the building, I guess. Um, the whole time, J. Jonah Jameson's kind of panicking. So Spidey's like going out of his way, although he probably would have anyway, to uh, like chide him and poke him in the ribs and like kind of make fun of him to sort of like bolster his anger and make him push through the fear. Um, and at some point while he's in the middle of fighting like five guys or whatever, he says, Jameson, get out of here. If you don't leave now, you're going to be my next target. So, of course, J. Jonah Jameson believes him because he believes the worst in Spider-Man. And he runs into the basement and he's like, I know this basement like the back of my hand. And then he bonk, hits his head, falls <laughs> over. Um, unbeknownst to Spider-Man, he's unconscious. Uh, meanwhile, Spider or meanwhile, Foswell confronts the Kingpin and he's like, dude, you just straight up murdered J. Jonah Jameson and Spider-Man. I mean, I'm all about being an evil overlord, but I don't think I like cold-blooded murder. And Kingpin's like, it wasn't murder. I was just eliminating my enemies. What? By the way, speaking of not murder, I'm going to eliminate you. But before he can do that, Spider-Man busts through the door. Um, but who cares? Because the Flash is showing up at a party. Not a party. At just the diner or something. I don't know. Wherever wait, wait, wait. they hang out. And, uh, There's a difference between Flash and The Flash. Just, just, just say. It's not, it's not The Flash. It's the less cool Flash. Flash Thompson, back from the war. I guess he's on leave, and he's in his military outfit, and Gwen thinks he's hot, and, and Harry thinks he's hot, and Mary Jane shows up, and she thinks he's hot, and they all think Peter should be there. Even Flash is like, yeah, I guess he's okay for a dork. Um, but anyway, we cut back to Peter being better than a dork. He's getting into a fight with the Kingpin again. At first, the Kingpin uses his weight to, like, knock Spidey down, but he's not having it this time. Now he knows better, and he steers clear of the punches, and he punches him back really hard to the point where Kingpin panics, and he runs into a secret room. Spidey tries to go after him, but it's rigged, and he barely escapes the explosion because of his spider sense. Um, Foswell, meanwhile, goes down to the basement, too, looking for J. Jonah Jameson, who wakes up because, like, water is 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 plinking on his forehead, and he thinks it's, like, blood or something. So he wakes up and he panics and Foswell and makes a lot of noise. So the Kingpin's goons hear him and they go after him. Foswell pulls out a gun and takes a bullet for him. He's like telling Jameson to escape while he like holds them off. So he's around the corner like shooting and getting shot. Spider-Man finally shows up to help him out. Foswell um, dies while Jameson mm -hmm. looks sad and says something about how like Jameson was the only guy to uh, give him a shot when he was trying to get back to a normal life. And so all, the least he could do is like return the favor by sparing Jameson's life. Um, so it all wraps up with the Kingpin having escaped. Foswell's dead. Um, uh, Jameson talks to the police and tells Ned Leeds who finds them finally that he wants a front page uh, memorial for Foswell. And he also wants another blast against Spider-Man because I'm, he's pretty sure that all this is Spider-Man's fault, blah, blah, blah. Spider-Man has a little moment of wondering if next time if he should just uh, not save Jameson's life. But who is he kidding? Of course he's going to do that. Next issue, Dr. Octopus. A John Romita. You're right. Dr. What? 
You guessed it was Foswell. Who was going to die? Mm-hmm. Oh, I forgot they even teased that. Yeah. They said uh, to die here. And I was like, yep, somebody's going to die. Who do you think it will be? And you said it has to be Foswell. There's no one else who could die. <laughs> That's right. There kind of wasn't. It was either Jameson, Spider-Man, or Foswell, right? Right, right. It yes, is a it cool. Is, I, like, the thing is, like, I don't know. It's weird. Like, Foswell's weird. Um, I've never heard of him before this show. Mm-hmm. And we've covered his entire arc now, unless he comes back to life as the Phoenix someday or something like that. But uh, this universe. But, uh, like, he started out as this kingpin guy, and then I kind of forgot about him. And then he was just like this weird background character who was hanging around the office. And every time I read him, it's like, why is this guy still here? What is going on with this guy? Like, how come nothing's going on with this guy? And then, like, they kind of ramped him up in the end and killed him. So interesting. He was a legit supporting character. I mean, he's just one of those characters who was around to mm-hmm. do stuff with. You're right. They didn't do a whole lot with him. He was just the reporter at the planet, at the planet, at the bugle. Um, yeah. And now now Ned is that guy. So, like, Ned, who also they haven't done anything with, is going mm-hmm. to start doing stuff or not. But he was, the, he was the reporter at the planet who was an ex-crime boss. So that's why it was kind of weird. It's like, I feel like you should be doing more with this guy or he should have different thoughts than he's having. And he, what he is was going like their, on? he was their stoolie, so like he was like tapping into old crime, yeah. But not as not as the ex big man, no, but as Patch, yeah. Because for all we know, Big Man never revealed himself to anybody anyway. Right. Instead, he's like, "I'm Patch the stoolie. Tell me what's going on, kids." So it's kind of a muddled overall story arc, but at the end, he was really good. Yeah, and I like you know I like this this era and this character. It's mm-hmm. You know, it's one of those characters that you just you feel like they should do something with and they just don't. But I still kind of like his presence. And now he's gone. I got to say, Ramita sure has a lot of covers that are famous for me, having not read the inside. Okay, so you recognize this one? Totally. And I don't know why. I just do. Once I I saw this, I was just like, oh, wow, we got to this one. But what's this one? I don't know. Now I do. Now you do. Um, We have Robbie. Yes. Robbie Roberts. They don't. Do they call him Robbie or just Robertson? They just, just call Robertson. him Robertson. What is a city editor? I meant to look that up. That's not, does that mean he like is in charge of the city section of the newspaper or something? Or? I think so. I yeah. think, yeah, the city section, he's the editor. So I think a lot of your big current events in New York stuff mm. is what he would be in charge of. So there's, now like, he has, there's like a horoscope guy and an art section guy and a, and a city guy. The, uh, the lovelorn column gal is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he has gone silver since last issue. Last issue, his hair was dark, and now it's um, black with white highlights, and it's pretty much going to be white before too long. Well, Jameson and Foswell disappeared, so it was really stressful. I can believe that. He smokes a pipe. Mm-hmm. I don't know why that's of note, because that's kind of classic for him, but someday all these Marvel heroes will stop smoking all of a sudden. In the 90s or in the 2000s? Quite a ways away, so we're going to have some smokers. Has Thing smoked a cigar yet? That's kind of classic. I don't remember it is that kind happening. Of classic. Anyway, I don't either. Yeah, we've got a pipe smoker and Robbie. Uh, you, you you mentioned Betty. Yes, and you were right. She dropped Peter because of all the danger stuff. But then, didn't she just say like two issues ago how she's going to face danger at Ned's side and she's over her fears? And did when the actual danger come along, did she just crumple? Well, maybe that was because it was a one-time danger, and now he's being assigned to something that. Uh, a job that will put him in danger constantly. It seems odd. Keenan pointed out that yeah. Sorry, I mean to catch you up. But Keenan pointed out that Jameson was being the opposite of helpful in this throughout all of this. 
he's pretty cowardly, but at the same time, he's not a superhero. So I don't know. Like, if I was about to die from drowning by the kingpin, I'd probably be pretty panicky too. And I didn't realize until after the water recedes that Jameson is still cuffed the entire time. Yes, he never got out. Um, so the water is coming up over. He can't even swim to try to rise to the top. If that water gets too high, he is dead. Mm-hmm. I like that Spider-Man like treats him badly, but there's actually a reason for it, though. Like, mm-hmm. like he probably he actually is looking out for him, which was cool. And Ramita really sells Jameson's anxiety and fear throughout all of this. Yeah. And it's funny that he knocks his head and passes out, and then he thinks he's bleeding and all that. So Flash, has Flash's comic started? This war comic he's supposed to be in? I haven't been paying attention to that. Probably. I don't remember the exact release dates on those issues, but Vietnam A Go-Go is probably being published around this time. And that's the one where um, Flash from this comic and Buzz from the Patsy Walker comic and good old Uncle Thundy, which is Thunderbolt Ross, they all have basically an Archie-style series of shenanigans in Vietnam because that's just what Vietnam was in the 60s. It was all, um, you know, happy-go-lucky times. I'm looking. I don't. I mean, I don't know. It's not like they reference it or anything, anyway. But no, 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 no. It's 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 not a real thing. It's something that uh, we made up on a podcast once. Oh. I'm sorry. I didn't mean, I didn't mean to think. Let you think I it was actually it was real. real. <laughs> Go search Gotham Chronicle podcast for our Vietnam a Go Go April Fools episodes. Okay. We have, we invented a comic and then podcasted about six issues of it. Wow. It was great. Well, so we're not skipping it at least. No, 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 we're not skipping it. It's, it's, it, well, he, he, he can. Was, he wasn't gone that long. He wasn't. And he leaves again, but every time he comes back, it's just like, oh, yeah, it's the war. It's Vietnam. You know, good yeah. old times. Is he and Mary Jane going to start dating? Because that, not. That, that, well, you would know that page 13, man, they seem to be really into each other. Yeah. I think Flash just hits on everything. But she's hit, touching him. Well, he is in uniform, he is pretty yeah. foxy. Yeah. I don't think they start dating, but I could be wrong. Um, Gwen and Flash have dated in the past, so... um, Right. He's just seeing her again. And now Mary Jane's like, hey, Gwen likes him. Foxy Man uniform, I'll I'll put my hands on him, too. Mm Mm-hmm. So is Gwen Gwen dating Harry? I guess it's just all ambiguous, kind of. But they're together again at a place. Yes. Gwen Gwen and Harry. In the last issue, Harry was like, yeah, Gwen's my date. So, you know, mm. calm down. And this issue, they're together again, but she's all like over, over Flash. Kingpin says that murder is not his style. He just <laughs> eliminates people. Right. And Keenan and I just recently watched a piece of the action. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, there's the whole thing where you just killed somebody. Killing people. What's killing people? Business is business. You know, we're just, we're mm-hmm. just making a few hits. That's all. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Maybe murder to him means like it has to be passioned or something. I don't know. All I can remember is the scene with the door in Daredevil, the TV show. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he kills people all the time. Don't ever get a Mm -hmm. neck rub from the kingpin because your neck's going to be snapped in the the next panel. So Right. He will rub your head right off of your shoulders. That's right. Is this the first time anybody has ever done anything nice for J. Jonah Jameson? Hmm. Because it sounds like it is. Oh, well, in our readings, I think it is. In his life, I don't know. I'm just looking for the scene where Foswell dies. And Jameson says something like, he's never done it. No one's ever done anything like this for me. Um, But I don't know. Well, 
hopefully not a lot of people take a bowl for him. Cause <laughs> as soon as I said it that way, I was like, that's not really what I meant, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Given his attitude, I imagine he doesn't have a lot of, <laughs> uh, not a lot of friends, a lot of friends or a lot of, uh, experience with morals or being nice or empathetic. So I don't know. What do you think about Foswell here at the end yeah. to die a hero? And Jameson really like glamorizes him and immortalizes him and everything. But uh-huh. I'm kind of like, you were ready to go back to the big time. You're ready to go back to rubbing yeah. people out and taking over the crime bosses. Yeah. You just dodged in front of Jameson because you felt you owed him. And Jameson's like, he died a hero. And I'm thinking he died a, he died a person who had a lot of loyalty to you, but I don't know if he died a hero. Well, yeah. According to Colossus, it's, you know, one choice. So I don't know. His last choice was a good choice, I guess. Is that like deathbed um, confession where it just like it writes out everything else? I don't know. I mean, also, what's a hero? A hero is whoever uh, someone thinks is a hero. So J.J. or Jameson thinks he's a hero. So I guess he's a hero. But I guess so. Maybe John Wilson doesn't. I don't know. It does I'm seem saying, like. I'm not like, saying he's not. I just don't. No, I know. It, it feels I understand. Weird. Like he's got a lot of negative in his life. So what balance does one action outweigh all the other actions? Yeah. I mean, this very story arc, he was trying to be a bad guy again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And nowhere does he think, as he's taking the bullet, like, I shouldn't have tried to be a crime boss. This is what I get, or anything like that. Although, I guess when he talks to the kingpin, he's sort of like, sure, I was a crime boss, but not like you. <laughs> but I don't know if I buy that, because it's like, I'm pretty sure he was killing people. Yeah, my picture in my head is a big man with a gun pointing, you know, yeah. not at the camera, but to the side of it. I'll go along with anything that'll make us a buck, but cold-blooded murder just isn't my style. And I'm like, I i mean, we should reread those issues maybe, but I seem to recall it kind of being your style. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How do you be a mob boss and not have cold-blooded murder as part of your repertoire? But this was a decent story. Um, yeah. First Kingpin story is uh, in the wraps, and Kingpin got away at the end, right? He did get away. So he's out there being Kingpin, taking, taking over mobs. He was a little more emotional yeah. on this one than the last one. Yeah. Like I thought the first his first appearance he felt pretty kingpinny and this one was a little more over the top, but I'm sure he'll get bigger and taller and mellow out as we go along. Maybe one of those things whereas, you know, when he's in control, he yeah. feels more stoic, but when things go wrong, at this point in his career, he gets a bit more physical. Let's get physical. Well, this story obviously stressed Spider-Man out because he needs a road trip. He does need a road trip. X-Men, the X-Men, 35. Along came a spider. Um, I don't think that's a new corner box. Turning no. the page, opening up the comic, because the cover has Spider-Man fighting the X-Men, and the uh, splash page has Banshee flying through the mountains, Woo-hoo. screaming his little head off with his pointy ears. Don't worry, true believer. We didn't start out with this splash panel of the bombastic Banshee, my mistake. Then Why? Stick around for a few pages. Maybe you'll see the method in our merry madness. Since that wasn't really very helpful, Banshee clues us into what's going on lately. For weeks, I've searched the mountains and valleys of Central Europe for the sinister group known as Factor 3. And now at last, I feel I can hear its secret sanctuary. I only pray that I'm in time to prevent its conquering the Earth. Stanley presents a Roy Thomas, Werner Roth, towering triumph of titanic talent and tumultuous toil, inked by Dan Atkins, lettered by Jerry Feldman. All right, so Banshee has to scream in order to fly. 
So he's flying and screaming through the mountains and random dude on the end of a um, <laughs> cliff is like, what is that? And is it connected to other stuff that's been going on here lately? And John makes note, who is this guy? Banshee keeps on flying. He passes oh. by a cave and the cave opens is it, up. Is, like is this- it Stingray? <gasps> he has a beard now. Oh, I think it's Gandalf. It probably is Gandalf taking care of his cows. This cave opens up this mechanical door and there's a robotic spider on the inside with an orbly light around its eyes and it zaps the Banshee or rather it zots him and Banshee (laughs) falls through the air, uses his underarm glider things to kind of catch the wind again and starts screaming again, makes it to his chalet. I made it to the chalet I rented. I must hurry inside and inform the others before it's too late. So he calls the X-Men to warn them about the spider. Meanwhile, just in case you forgot whose Magnus is, let's look on at our certain school in Westchester County where the X-Men are looking for some way to figure out where Professor X has been taken. Looking through all of their files and um, they're watching Cerebro, which has been repaired. Uh, Warren Worthington flies in from scouting around. He's like, well... I did find one tiny clue, nothing to write home about, but I found a saucer-shaped vehicle's tracks nearby. Like mutants, flying saucers, what do you think? Like, I don't know. Um, (laughs) Then a signal comes in, calling X-Men, calling X-Men, it's an emergency. And they hear scattered remnants of a voice of Banshee talking about a spider. Beware the spider. Like, what's beware the spider? Meanwhile, Banshee falls to the ground unconscious and is taken by two sinister shadows left by figures unseen. And somewhere else, a half a minute later, a brooding figure in a towering mountain is watching the flying saucer leave Banshee's chalet, bringing him to Factor 3. Okay. Meanwhile, back at the X-Men, they're looking at the ticker tape because that's <laughs> what Banshee's message came in on. But where the spider? What's that all about? I don't know. But wouldn't you know it, Peter Parker, a.k.a. the one and only amazing Spider-Man, if you did not know, is zooming on his motorcycle. He's like, oh, man, I never do get to see the pasture and the countryside because my comic takes place in the city. I think I'm just going to go walk down to that river down there and just, you know, chill out. Be, be you know, a tired little spider. So um, then this flying saucer comes down, this egg-shaped ship, I should say. Not really a flying saucer. This flying egg lands near him. He dodges into a nearby castle because, you know, comics. And he's like, if there's an egg landing, I better turn into Spider-Man. And out of the egg comes a robotic spider. And it zaps the castle walls. And it zaps Spider-Man and knocks him out. And Spider-Man wakes up and the egg and the spider are gone. And Cerebro goes off. And so the X-Men are like, oh, no. It's a mutant. Some mutant menace. Maybe it's the spider that Banshee warns about. So they go out and they follow the signal and they get to the robot spider attacking Spider-Man, except that the robot spider is gone and the egg-shaped craft is gone. And Spider-Man's waking up saying, hey, guys. And like, spider, beware. Spider-Man, that must be who we're supposed to fight. 
So they fight Spider-Man. Spider-Man's like, what did I do? I just came here to have a nap, got attacked by a robot spider, and now by X-Men. Didn't you want me to join your team like three days ago? And the Beast is the one who's really leading the charge in the whole this is Spider-Man's fault thing. So um, he uh, he fights Spider-Man. Everybody fights Spider-Man. Meanwhile, back in the office, Jean Grey is like, hmm, a special note here from the professor about factor three. According to this note, Xavier put a special crystal in Banshee's head that would let us contact him at any time. I'm just going to send my frequency change my frequency and send him a message. So she does. And Banshee's headband starts warbling, but he's unconscious. So Spider-Man and the X-Men are still fighting and Spider-Man's getting really annoyed. At first he was trying to just like avoid their attacks, but now he is all kinds of mad. And just when he decides he's had it and the kid gloves are coming off, Jean or Marvel Girl contacts Cyclops on his Dick Tracy wrist phone and says, hey, um, we have other fish to fry. And they're like, oh, if the... um, if the Cerebro message stopped right after we left, then it couldn't be Spider-Man, because he's right here. So, uh, never mind, Spider-Man. Spider-Man's like, no, I want to fight you. And they're like, yeah, we're going to go. Spider-Man's like, no wonder nobody likes you. No wonder you have no friends. So, back at the X-Men mansion, um, Jean Grey is worried about where the Banshee is and how they're going to have to go save him. Um, I forget exactly what the final note is. They're like, oh, we have to go there. At some point, somebody suggests that maybe Cerebro was reacting to the fact that the robot spider was built by a mutant menace, to which John says, pshaw. Next-ish, Meccano. Meccano? Well, Gene, I'd ask you not to come, but I guess I shouldn't do that. Oh, he loves me so. It's too dangerous for a girl, but I can't say that to you. That's misogynist. But I did just say it out loud. Right. So they're going to go say Professor Xavier in the mountains next issue. But in the meantime, Spider-Man. So is this one of those classics for you? Or is it like this was well past your trade pa- your trade paperback probably? This is well past. Now, this is one of those that I read when I was doing my first Spider-Man read through thinking, oh, look, it's Spider-Man the X-Men. He's on the cover. So whenever I would do guest appearances and they were on the cover, I would read the entire issue. Sure. Um, and, you know, he's in pretty much all of this. So... It was nice, but um, oh, he's worth just covering. One if you're big coincidence, man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was okay. I don't know. Like compared to some other X Men that I've hated, this wasn't horrible, but it wasn't like amazing. Amazing. Well, it's it's pursuing the Factor Three plot without really doing so. Mm-hmm. It's telling another story while we're spinning a couple of wheels over there. So I don't really kind of I don't really like that method of storytelling so much. Well, why did how did the Banshee get closer to Factor Three? They don't really talk about that. And uh, how did how did Banshee and the Spider in the European Mountains? How did that connect with the Spider in the attack on Spider Man in New York? Well, it looks like it's the same flying saucer. If we go by page whatever this is five, I don't remember from the dialogue. But yeah, why oh, the robot was I get what you're York. saying. Why did they go there? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because I'm making this up, but is it because they traced the message? Uh, I'm sending one of my reconnaissance units to America to see how much of the Banshee managed to tell the X-Men. Okay. So that's why. So in case, in case the mutant, in case the X-Men find them, they can, he can be ready. But I think that by sending the uh, ship out there, he helps draw their attention. So we get the guy's arm. This is very um, Inspector Gadget. Blofeld. So far. Yeah. Or claw, 
whatever. Was that guy's name Claw? Yeah, yeah Claw with the, with the cat. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, that's all we get. Is that the most we've got from Factor 3? I think. That's yeah, this, the fact that we even elbow. get this guy is new. Yeah. So they have technology that lets them look at cabins and sh- have flying saucers and tripod spiders from that day there. What is that movie called? What's that movie where aliens? War of the Worlds? War of the Worlds, yeah. It looks like a War of the Worlds alien to me, kind of. A bit, a bit. Uh, But smaller. So Banshee's in this, and he first showed up in the issue right after the last time the X-Men met Mm Spider-Man. So that was a weird bit of parallelism. Mm. Um, I do really sincerely want to know if the goat herd on the second page is actually a person. Because he says portentous things, and then he just disappears. Has it any connection with the other weird sounds and weirder happenings which have lately besieged this land? I don't know. That or he's just trying to establish that Factor 3 is doing weird things here that we're going to find out later. I don't know. Yeah, that could be it. Uh, Because he is literally a goat herder, so probably not anything super important. But you never know. I have no idea. It was cool to see Banshee again. I mean, he basically just gets knocked out, but... Yeah, uh, having him in the book makes it. Yeah, uh, and he's still, just if anybody's keeping track, he still has weird face. Eventually, that goes away. I don't know when. And I don't I don't think he keeps the pointy ears either. I think those no. go away. It's all, like, he has this really tiny nose and pointy ears, like he's some sort of hybrid gnome person or something. I think you said in the last time we appeared that he's a who from Whoville. Yes, he's a who from Whoville. That's exactly what he looks like. Eventually, he just starts looking like, pretty so i don't know when that happens different artists maybe roy thomas is writing spider-man for i think the first time oh and it's like he wants to take this opportunity to explore his psychology mm. sometimes really? i'm not sure if there really is a peter parker oh. or if he's just spider-man in disguise wow oh, what a time for identity crisis you know what else i noticed is werner roth is very much of the steve ditko way of thinking i thought we haven't had a lot way. of different artists drawing Spider-Man. This looks way more Ditko-y than Ramita-y to me. Mm, yeah. Lots of tiny lines and kind of just the way he's moving around, too. Could just be that Werner Roth has a closer style to Ditko than Ramita, but The webs aren't quite right on no. the face. Yeah. It's kind of weird. Every time Spider-Man guest stars, he looks weird. They haven't really like had all these people nail his look, I guess, other than in his own mm-hmm. title. Well, like on page eight, the two shots on the right – look pretty on point. The mm-hmm. two shots on the left yeah. have issues. Yeah, he's got weird head shape or something. Mm-hmm. But then Cyclops is looking really weird these days, too. <laughs> Those goggles well, are getting the more bottom, and more gigantic. gigantic. They're going to eat his head. Yeah. B says, listen, group, Cerebro is indicating the presence of a mutant. And I'm thinking Cerebro has had a lot of false positives lately, so I don't wouldn't be so sure. And sure enough, it is not a mutant. In fact, I can't think of any real reason in this story why <gasps> Cerebro should follow the rules that has been described as having and make a sound. Do you know what they said in the end? They said, maybe it's because a mutant built the machine. It's like, wow, is that what Cerebro does? If, if a yeah. mutant builds a hammer, Cerebro is going to detect the hammer? And when does it detect the hammer? Yeah. When the hammer is made or when the hammer is picked up by a nefarious plot person? By the way, I didn't like that. Where is that panel? Page eight. Um, there's. It's picking up a mutant. If so, or I guess it says maybe he's coming after us. If so, he's going to be sorry. But it's like, wow, that's really in the spirit of what your school's all about, right? Cerebro <laughs> finds a mutant and you're just like, let's kick it ass. You know, I don't know. Right, right, right. I mean, I guess they're oh, on guard worn. right now. So it kind of makes sense. They have sense. lost their professor. They lost their professor and the thing is being picked up within their vicinity. So maybe they're just on guard and assuming the worst, but 
that kind of bugged me a little bit. It's like, you guys are supposed to be like pro mutant, aren't you? <laughs> Have you forgot? Um, Hank is the one who kind of leads the whole, this must yeah. be the spider we're looking for. And I'm is like, for weird? a smart guy, Hank, you're kind of dumb. Yeah. That bothered me a little bit. Like that doesn't seem like his bag. I would think angel or Iceman would be more doing that. Mm-hmm. He did realize after a couple pages that he might be dumb, but still. Is this like a, a thing that Spidey does often? Like, I feel like I've read at least now this story, but at least two or three other stories where he beats up the X-Men. <laughs> it's like this. It's like a thing people like. Spider-Man beating up all the X-Men. It really doesn't make the X-Men look great, but. No, I think Spider-Man and the X-Men should be friends. And I remember there was a miniseries, Spider-Man and the X-Men, that was like four stories from across their time periods. Oh. And I kind of dug it. Um but this is, yeah, this is not a, a happy place for them. They're both loners. They're both outsiders. I feel like they should get along. And, you know, the whole mutant, must be mutant to join the X-Men wasn't really in place here. So Spider-Man totally could have joined the X-Men. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It would have been I a wonder, very, very different world. Is there had. a what if that Spider-Man joins the X-Men? Because I know there's one where he joins the Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's one where he joins the X-Men, but there should be. Yeah, there should be. That'd be cool. Well... I don't know what else to say. It was a fun fight, I guess. A cool another setup. We got in a lot of setups lately. And I, I don't was know just going to point out the uh, the oh. one other thing where Roy Thomas talks about Spider Man is like, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Good old Spider Sense. It saved my wall crawling height again. One of these days, I'm going to have to find out how it works. Mm-hmm. It's just, eh, I don't know. Roy That's Thomas, kind of a good point. You're, you're, it is a good point. I just think you're not the Spider Man guy. No, so, you are not the Spider Man guy. But he, but Peter is a science guy. Has he ever, has he ever been shown to like experiment with how his spider sense works, like a scientific method or something, or even just, I don't know about a scientific method, but even just something like calculated to see if he can figure out a range or a intensity or anything. He'd have to have somebody to trigger it yeah. or something to trigger it. That's true. Yeah. How would he test it on his own? That'd be difficult. Um, last note from me is that Gene and, uh, Scott at the end, not much has changed between them since they're retconned to kiss, but they do seem to be a little bit closer. Mm-hmm. They're not like, oh my gosh, I love him. If only he would just give me the light of day. Mm-hmm. Like they're at least talking to each other and acknowledging yes. each other's existence. And he did say in a previous issue that that's not going to be him. It's going to take him a while. So right. I guess it really is. They also need an X-Mobile very badly because them all piloting a Rolls Royce and driving away was really weird. And I think I'm done with this. Yeah. I've never heard of Meccano, so I'm assuming it's a really awesome story next issue. Probably. Probably um, awesome. And that's the end of our month. The end of a month. Dun, dun, dun. So let's see. What month are we on? June. That was June of 1967, halfway through the month. <sighs> okay. Goodness gracious. This is a really so, giant month. Let's line them up and knock them down. Um, Sergeant Fury 45, which was the one where they saved the war lover. Right. That was a good his one. Dad at the end. That was a really good one. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Avengers battle, the earth wrecker. I don't oh. know if you want to count that. Ooh. I mean, it's not going to win, but Ooh, interesting. Okay. It might lose. <laughs> it might lose. <laughs> We have um, Nick Fury and the Blackout story where Jimmy Woo shows up and um, Captain America and they flash back to the Blackout of 1965, which turns out was a real event, which is what that's all about. Um, We'll talk about more of that in a few minutes. Doctor Strange, Mm -hmm. if this planet you would save where he's up against Baron Mordo, Mm. um, trying to get all the badness out of him after he put all the badness in him. No. 
he puts all the badness in him through the course of the issue. And then Mario uses it against him. Yeah. Right. Sergeant Fury Annual 3, flash forward to the present day. Let's get a bunch of middle-aged howlers to go fight Vietnam for us. Because, you know, saving Vietnam is something we should probably do at some point, mm. at least, you know, fix the whole Vietnam situation. Mm-hmm. Tales of Suspense 93 with two stories. Uh, Iron Man versus the Titanium Man and the villainy of Half-Face. And then Captain America into the jaws of AIM. And what is this Modoc anyway? Mm-hmm. Thor 143 fighting the um, the enchanters and their living talisman on Earth or in Asgard or wherever they fight him. Oh, no, this isn't the one where they fought him. This is the one where where they, they fight, fight him, but Thor doesn't. Yeah, they fight Sif and Balder mm-hmm. and then they come to Earth. Okay. Um, Daredevil 31. Oh, God. Yeah. Where he's blind, yeah, for reals this time, mm-hmm. and Cobra and um, what's his face Hyde are there. Yep, the Avengers forty three with the Red Guardian and Black Widow and the Eastern Country. Fantastic Four sixty six. What lurks behind the sixties hairdo? Mm-hmm. Could it be him? Tales to Astonish ninety five from the end of last episode. We have Namor fighting the Plunderer, and we have Hulk making his way to the High Evolutionary's world. And then this episode, Amazing Spider-Man 52, the end of Mr. Foswell, and the X-Men 35 fighting a spider. I'm ready. We're going to have to figure out something, because it's so many stories, but I am ready as well. Okay. Go first. Should I go first? Huh? Go ahead. All right. I'm going to keep... My favorite choice for the month on Sergeant Fury. Okay, cool. Um, while other comics were good, they did not afford me as much pleasure reading as that one did. Mm-hmm. And while this Amazing Spider-Man was good, it wasn't like blow me away good. It was just it was a solid issue, and mm-hmm. you know, Foswell's fun. Um, I hate to give least to the Avengers because the monthly comic was decent, but that book, <laughs> yeah. Was 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 pretty rough. Mm-hmm. Um, did I dislike the book enough? Daredevil tightrope blind. If that's any, help. he did. But that was silly. You enjoyed it. Maybe over the top silly. I didn't enjoy it as much as I've enjoyed other stuff. But um, yeah, I'm going to give it to the Avengers this wow, time. Wow. Okay. What are you What are you picking? Well, my least favorite. I just you know Doctor Strange skates by me month after month, and I think he deserves more of my. Stain. Yeah. This Living Tribunal thing in particular is like, I don't even really understand it. Like, he released some evil that possessed like 10 people. Now the Living Tribunal wants to destroy all the world or something. Like, whatever. I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's dumb. And also, X Men had Spider Man, so that was better. Yeah. Um, So that's my least. And my favorite, I'm going to go with Cap. I don't hardly ever do that, I know. But that one was a really fun read for me. It had Sharon. Actually talking and being cool mm-hmm. and being awesome. It had inklings of Modoc. We don't actually see him yet, but he's in there. Um, it had a cool cliffhanger of Cap about to get shot in the head. And it establishes his shield is indestructible and unique. So, yeah, I really enjoyed that one. That's that was favorite. a solid Cap issue. That might, Yeah, that's recalling everything. It feels like a really strong second place or a vie for first for me as well. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, that Sergeant Fury was really good. That's probably my second, because after that, everything's sort of just, you know, it's good, but not great. Just okay mm-hmm. stuff. 
And then there's Daredevil, which I can't even quantify or classify. I can't figure <laughs> I can't figure out how to how to I don't know. You're not supposed to take it seriously, so like on that it's not failing or anything. But did you watch any of Gotham? I watched like the first season. I so um, friends of the show, Josh and Don, my mm-hmm. two compatriots on the old Amazing Spider-Man Classics show, mm-hmm. um, they're big Batman fans. Yes. So everything I had heard about Gotham had been from the perspective of two big Batman fans who are watching this show that is very fast and loose mm-hmm. with its use of continuity and characters in the comics and everything. Sure. Um, and so it was a lot of frustration, a lot of, you know, mockery. They didn't really, really enjoy the show that much. And so I kind of feel like it's Daredevil. Like, you don't really mm. know what to do with Daredevil. It's like it's not really being a superhero comic. It's mm. And somebody posted on Twitter recently, and I haven't sat down to read the article yet, but talking about how, like, Neither Lee nor Colin really knew what to do with the book. Mm-hmm. They were just they were just doing it and making stuff up along the way, and mm-hmm. so it almost feels like it should have been canceled if that's where they were creatively with it. See, I thought Josh really liked Gotham, but he only he liked it because it was absurd, which is kind of like how you have to enjoy these Daredevil stories, like. And maybe that's it because he talks about how he stopped taking it so seriously. Maybe he stopped taking it seriously and liked it more than I thought he did. But that was just yeah. my impression. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's a weird – I don't know that they're bad, but they're not good either. I don't understand what to do with them. So they're just not going to get my vote either way, I guess, for now. All right. That's it. Shall we move on? Oh, gosh. I think it's time. Speaking of Sergeant Fury, and I have to do this one. Sergeant Fury and his handling commandos number 46, this ish, a shell-studded action-packed salute to those valor- valorous unsung hero heroes, men called the medics. They also serve. Um, yeah. Talk about blockbusted beginning, blockbusting beginnings. This ish kicks off with bombastic Bull McGibbony and his rough and ready right hand man, Ricketts Johnson. <laughs> what the? Okay. I guess I must have skipped over that before. Ricketts Johnson. <laughs> I think he was in the, the, um, the pinups in the back he, he of the was. annual. You're right. But my God, that name. Okay. Five. <laughs> Fighting for their lives in occupied France and ready to see who's about to join them. Who boy. um, Stan Lee esoterically edits and encourages a Gary Friedrich, John Severin affirmation of awe-inspiring action. Lettered by Al Kurzrock. Bandages by Forbush First Aid Incorporated. Okay, Dauntless Dedications Department. Due to the unprecedented popular demand, the shell-studded issues peerlessly presented in honor of the unsung heroes of every war, the men and women of the medical corps. Now, turn the page and fall in, soldier, because it's howling time. So, yeah, Ricketts and Bull are in France all by themselves, and they're surrounded, and they put up a good fight because McGivney is like the nega Nick Fury or something. Um, but he gets shot in the gut and goes down, and his friend Ricketts seemingly gets shot in the head and also goes down. Um, but just as the Nazis are closing in on him, a plane swoops by, a plane piloted by Eric. I guess Eric was supposed to pick him up, um, but instead he just swoops on in and shoots all the Germans. And on his way back to do it again, unfortunately his plane gets hit by one of the Germans getting lucky, and he can't land it, so he parachutes out. And he 
recons with Ricketts and Bull, who are actually both okay. Ricketts just has a little ding on his head. Like his helmet took the majority of the thing. It just kind of knocked him out. But Bull is not doing well. He can't stand up. Um, so while Ricketts kind of makes fun of the Howling Commandos, um, Eric actually shows them what a Howling Commando can do, and he picks up Bull, and he takes them both to the nearest cottage, and they hole up there. Um, oh, and before he leapt out of his airplane, he managed to send off a message saying, help, help, mayday, mayday. So all the way back uh, in England, I guess, Sam Sawyer gets that message, and he summons the Howlers, who are all playing cards and losing again to Reb. Um, and they get assigned to go rescue. And since they know that Bull is hurt, they also assign a dude named Cliff Powers, who's a medic. Um, so they're all on the plane, and Cliff like kind of opens up, and he's like, you know, my dad or my family isn't so proud of me because I don't tote a gun. And Nick's like, well, that's dumb. You guys are super important, and don't let anybody say otherwise. And that's going to be a conversation that happens like 28 times in this book. Um, meanwhile, the... Uh, the cabin that the Eric and Ricketts and Bull are held up in is getting attacked and they're running out of ammo and they're about to get surrounded when Wahoo, the Howlers all come down uh, with their machine guns uh, and parachutes and they drive the Germans away. And so now the Howlers are in this cabin um, and Bull's giving the medic a hard time for not being a real soldier and Nick is telling him he's an idiot. Um, and basically their problem is, is this cabin is in an open field. And in about five minutes, their plane is going to arrive that takes them away, but they have to get to that plane somehow without getting shot, and Bull can barely stand. So the medic gets Bull as, uh, uh, as healthy as he can or stable as he can, and then basically the plan is to run like heck um, to the plane, which they do. And they mostly make it, except the pilot gets killed. So then they have to, like, and some of the electronics get wrecked so they have to sort of like try and fix that and get eric as the new pilot and while that's all happening the medic realizes that he left his medical bag in the cabin and he's like i have to go back for it because bull is gonna die and he's hurting and i just can't leave him like this and nick's like no way forget you we'll you know he'll just have to take it he's a tough guy and the medic's like no no it's my job and he pulls a gun on nick and says i'm gonna do it and nick's like okay well if you feel that strongly about it so the guy hauls back to the cabin, and Nick and the other howlers provide cover. He does pretty well, except on the way back, he trips into a hole. And when he trips, he gets shot, seemingly just like in the leg, and he limps his way in. Um, they stabilize Bull. They make it back to, you know, Britain. And then it turns out, Oh, Reb also gets shot in the shoulder. So he's stabilizing them both, Bull and Reb, patching them up. And then they get back to England, and it turns out he was actually shot worse than they thought. He was shot in the back, and he didn't tell anybody. So the whole time he was muscling through the pain just to help these two patients. And then as soon as they get to Britain, he collapses, and they're like, wow, that's like – he really impressed the Howlers with his awesome you know, stamina and, and desire to – do his job and stuff. So then in the end, um, they all live. Bull lives and the medic lives and the howlers uh, go to visit. And Bull actually shows a moment of like um, kindness and empathy and thanks the medic for, you know, saving his life. So, of course, they all poke fun at him for that because that's what you do. Um, and then there, and then Bull's like, you know, if you ever want to join my infantry, man, you've got the stones. I'll, I'll let you in with us anytime. And the medic's like, you know – 
after all this adventure, I suddenly realized that, you know, as much as I'd like to sport a gun and shoot people, being a medic is actually really important, and I'm just going to keep doing it. Next issue, the Howlers go on furlough. Enough said. So I continue to really, really like John Severin's art on this. I I was going to say, this is the first time ever that there were two good Sergeant Fury issues in a row. Mm. Because I really enjoyed this one, too. Yeah. And I I think a big part of that is John Severin's art, but... Also, the stories aren't as formulaic as they've been. No, no, they're not. I was thinking about that when I was reading it, like starting off with Bull and uh, Ricketts getting shot Mm -hmm. out on, you know, Mm -hmm. very, very different setup. Mm -hmm. Um, And, of course, the whole point of this issue is to heap praise upon the medical corps, which they do a whole lot of, but I feel like they also do a lot of other stuff to, like, tell that story. They give examples of biases against them. They give arguments for how they operate in battle and why. They give this particular guy the chance to sort of live out his dream to actually do some action. Mm-hmm. Um, and Bull has a change of heart at the end. This felt like an answer to something, but I don't know what the something is. That's like, a really great way of putting it. Yeah. Like something in 1967 mm-hmm. attacked medics. So they're like, we're going to do an issue that shows how cool they are or something. It gives the impression that the kind of talk that Ricketts and Bull give about the medic was like something that was heard in the army back in the day. But having never been in the army during this era, no. I have no idea if that's true. Well, and all and and all my information that I know about war is from fictional movies and television, mm-hmm. and Sergeant uh, Fury comics, and Sergeant Fury comics. So, like, never in any of that have I heard of a bias towards medics. But then I was thinking, there's an inkling in my mind of maybe that happened in Mash. But haven't you watched Mash more recently than I have? Or Only is that the first else? season. Okay. But then that's weird because that's only the perspective of the medics. So, like, everyone knows the doctors in that. But I feel like there were jerky generals that would come in and, like, call them like they're not there at the front lines. They don't know what they're doing or whatever, you know. I would not be surprised. I don't know if that really happened or if I'm making it. Well, nothing that was said about medics in this rang as untrue or unrealistic. It all sounded like the kinds of things people would say, especially testosterone-filled. That's true. I just have never encountered it that kind of bias before, so I never knew about it. But, hey, comics teach you things, I guess. The title is another uh, poetic reference. That's um, two for this episode. He must no. have got a poem book or something. One for last episode, one for this episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. John, uh, John Milton, um, known for Paradise Lost. He uh, The entire line is, they also serve who only stand and wait. Mm. And it's the conclusion of this poet musing on how, even though it's later in life and he's lost his sight... He still has a place in God's plan because they also serve who only stand and wait. And I feel like it's one of those quotes that like, the more you know about the context, the less it really feels like it should apply. Mm -hmm. But, you know, medics, they also serve. That works. The rest of it doesn't seem to really work. Right. Anyways, I just happened to look that up and see it. And I like to. They also serve. They serve too, dang it. Yeah. Medics are awesome. Um, I only had a couple of things right towards the end. Um, they make all that guff about having to run the length of a football field under fire and mm-hmm. they get there in one panel. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I don't know what else you would draw though. Right? Like, no, I mean, the guy has to go back and then come back again. So it helps mm-hmm. to underscore that drama. But yeah, it's like, there's no dodging bullets running across grass. They are literally at the airplane the next time we see them. Well, it turns out the Germans decided instead of shooting at them, they were going to shoot at the airplane, which turns out to work because it killed the pilot and wrecked their electronics. So they couldn't take off immediately. True. Uh, yeah. Page page 14. I, I'm reading this comic. 
I always watch for what kind of contri- contributions Gabe Jones makes to the story. Mm-hmm. And I get to this panel on page 14. I'm literally reading the entire panel and my brain is slow motion, hoping there's not going to be mention of a bugle. <laughs> and there is. And the there only, is. The only dialogue he has, I think. In Must be. And again, I've said before, everyone uses their shorthands. Reb is always referencing poker. It just... For some reason, it stands out more in my mind with Gabe Jones because it is so rarely that he doesn't mention the bugle. And being a person of color, I'm kind of looking for a little bit more like you know humanity to him than mm-hmm. is actually there. Yeah, they're all kind of stereotypes, but yeah. Actually, McGivney has like <laughs> more interesting nuances than most of the howlers do sometimes, which I would not have expected. But in the last no. couple times we've seen him, yeah, it's like, can we get a McGivney book? That'd be kind of interesting. Where he no, just, please. where every story is just him like realizing he's a bigot and changing his ways about something new. Oh, speaking of um, speaking of bigots, unrelated side note. Mm-hmm. Remember the Howler's origin story and how yeah. Reb and Gabe had some conflict because Reb brought his uh-huh. um, southern views with them. Yes, and they said they tell the story later how they made friends. Mm-hmm. No, they didn't. Well, I assume that's next annual. Uh, yeah, that's an assumption you could make. Well, I didn't think it was going to be immediately. I don't know why. I just figured well, I some the, other time. I looked at the chronology project, and from that issue, I think it was 44, the next chronological story is one, issue one. So there's no other oh, fill-in-the-gap no. stories between those two. Well, that's a big bummer. Oh, well. And my last note was that whenever the medic was running out and running back to the plane, I felt some legitimate suspense. I'm like, I don't know if he's going to make it back. He is a no-name. He could die. I don't know what's going to happen. And that was pretty cool. Yeah, but he didn't. I did look up his name to see if he was anything that mattered, but I, I think that was it. He's not even linked on the Wikipedia for Marvel. Well, shall I um, wrap it up with some racism? I am so glad that you have to summarize this story <laughs> because I do not understand what's going on. So It's not really racism. It's just... The Yellow Claw is not a great character concept, well, but... I, I had to summarize the first one, and I can't remember the last time I struggled so hard to summarize a plot, so yay on me that I don't have to do this one. All right, well, this is the second Doom. Mm-hmm. And uh, remember last-ish? Nick yeah. Fury began relating the swinging saga of the New York blackout to FBI man Jimmy Woo. Side note, that is the New York blackout of November 1965 on the date that was in the folder last issue. Because Starenko evidently wanted to do a historical occasion that people would remember and tie S.H.I.E.L.D. into it. Okay. So that's what this whole flashback thing is. Wow. I didn't realize that last time. I was like, it doesn't fit with the continuity. Why is he doing this? Right. because he wanted a story about the real life. My goodness. Okay. Silly me. As you might have guessed, our usual 12 pages ended with the dynamic director of S.H.I.E.L.D. falling from the top of the Statue of Liberty. Meanwhile, Captain America's gravity-nullifying harness has failed, leaving him in free fall high over Manhattan. Confused? You ain't seen nothing yet. Keep reading as Nick Fury narrates the terrifying tale of The Second Doom. And if you're wondering what this is doing here, we just couldn't find room for anywhere else. It's the credit box. Stan Lee, editor, Jim Starenko, writer and illustrator, Sam Rosen, letterer, Project Blackout, part two. Part deux. Okay, so Reed Richards and the ever-loving blue-eyed thing are watching Captain America fall on their screens. And they talk about it. Hmm, what should we do? Captain America's falling. I don't know what to do. What should we do? 
And Reed Richards runs out and sticks his uh, super long arms into the sky to catch him. He is falling 100 miles an hour. And he is a rock solid man. Reed does not do much to slow him down. And Ben Grimm cushions the fall with his body. So Captain America might as well have just hit the ground. In any case, he lives. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So um, Reed Richards is like, well, according to my scanners, we, uh, we can we can save Nick Fury. There's only one possible way. And Doctor Strange just lifts one finger. This one. Okay. Um, meanwhile, Nick Fury has fallen off the Statue of Liberty. However, he grabs one of her crown prongs and swings back in, fighting all these aliens in Kirby armor. He's socking and rocking and pocking people in the face. Um, Captain America and the, th- the thing's just holding stuff in the air. It's just what he does. He's holding big, heavy things in the air while Reed Richards makes some science. And Captain Mary's like, okay, we should go and save Nick. And um, they get on a flying bike to go do that. Um, Trying to see if they take a device. Yeah, they take a gun. They take a gun with them. And Reed's like, okay, you go be good. And Ben's like, I want to go help. And Reed's like, no, you can't go help. It's not your comic. Oh, man. Mm. So meanwhile, back at the Statue of Liberty, uh, Nick Fury has pulled out a device. It's a time bomb. And he sticks it with some stickium onto the underside of this big old thing. I don't really know what to describe it. It's a, he calls it a king-size gizmo, and that works for me. Yep. Uh, more aliens attack him. They tie his arms behind him. They throw him off the statue again. And he splashes into the bay. And Captain America sees him, rescues him, pulls him out smacks him in the back of the head with his shield to uh, break the straps. They go back into the statue and they fight more armored aliens. It's the third time they've entered the statue and just this issue. Um, And something happens that blows up and it causes an electrical charge backlash, which sends everyone in the statue scurrying like a pack of rats to their holes the vibrations must have been too much because the whole blamed tunnel, I guess they're in a tunnel under the statue, started to collapse. And that is what caused the blackout in 1965. And it was all hushed up. And we never located the source of the invasion. Who sent those aliens in armor? And Jimmy Woo says, there's only one man who's capable of such incredible assault. The one you seek is called, and Captain America says, Dr. Doom. Mm-hmm. And Nick Fury says, Hydra? And Jimmy Woo says, no, only one man cap- Red Skull, is it the master planner? No, there's only one man capable of such an incredible assault. The Yellow Claw. And while he says this in some other place, the Yellow Claw is thinking about how he swore revenge on Jimmy Woo years ago. And now all the world is ready to tremble again in front of his Yellow Clawiness. Now that he has this fantastic costume. And his daughter, Sawan, is there. Well, maybe the world will be nice if you're just nice. They exiled you, remember? And he's like, shut up, daughter, niece, whoever you are. I'm not going to talk to you. It's going to be really sad if your friend Jimmy Woo interferes. And then a rand per- random person in a white suit who turns out to be uh, the person who ran the Auschwitz camp mm-hmm. and works with uh, with uh, with the claw. Uh, take care of Sawan, the little yellow claws, little patients. And now he prepares... The second doom to be continued. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. So. I don't know if it was worth all this just to make a real life thing explained. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's really pretty. It's really yes. actiony. It's really yes. great to look at. But yes. it's it's kind of redundant, kind of a lot of back and forth. And mm. not only do they put the last page on the cover, <laughs> but the title of the story is about an event that they never mention until the last line of the comic as happening next issue. Yeah. So the second doom is not even something we know about in this story. We're right. still on the first doom. We're still on the whole blackout thing. The pacing is off. They could have told what happened in this story in like a page and then we could have moved on. Like this one time me and Cap tried to beat up these robots, but then they all blew up and we never figured out where they came from. The end. The end. Yeah. Not two stories. Two whole stories. Now, that said, it seems out of place, but it is neat that the Fantastic Four is, or Fantastic Two is in here. Mm-hmm. I was thinking, like, the last time, I could be wrong, but the last time Cap encountered the Fantastic Four, weren't they fighting and he was just newly thawed? Could be, especially since this is 1965. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. That really... But it's not, because Nick looks like new Nick, not old Nick, so it really is dumb. Mm-hmm. But... Um, yeah, it was kind of just neat to see them working together and not that there's a lot of like back and forth camaraderie or anything, but. Well, it's, I said it last time we covered this comic, it feels like it is using a, an interconnectedness of the Marvel universe that we haven't really seen established yet, mm-hmm. but that's not a complaint. I, I'm all, I'm here for it. I want more interconnectedness in right. the Marvel universe. Yes, exactly. Having the Fantastic Four here helping Captain America, even though Ben is like, he's Captain America, he should save himself. That, that was, was kind of funny. I, I think like, it's funny, like neither Reed Richards nor uh, Steve Rogers are the best uh, audience for things funny. But mm-hmm. he continues to do it anyway. Like, neither one of them acknowledges any of the funny things he says in this. Right. But, yeah, yeah um, right. it's like I, I was super excited when things like, I'll go with you. I'm like, yes, please. Let's have a thing, Captain America, team up. Oh, and yeah. And then uh, that didn't happen. That may be that's not That's not going to happen until Marvel 2 in one, probably. <laughs> right. Well, talk about a combination. Jeez. Um, I was a bit relieved to, to find out that the uh, all the um, – all the cannon fodder people were aliens and not humans. Because oh. we talked briefly last time about like with the with the yellow skin and the yellow claw being the person in charge. It just it felt like it was going in a very bad direction. Uh-huh. But no, these are not human beings. These are just an alien force. Right. Do we know? I'm sure he'll tell us his name next issue. But I don't know who Sunglasses guy is. Do we care? Does it matter? Uh, he's not identified here. He is Fritz Voltzman. Okay. Um, the Yellow Claw in 1956 recruited the missing ex-commandant of Auschwitz to work for him. Oh, cool. Ex-Nazi. Yes. Yeah, so the basic plot of the Yellow Claw is kind of like the Mandarin. Mm. Only instead of the uh, Chinese government being scared of him, yes, they're scared of him, but they go to him for help. They're like, hey, help us take over the world. He's like, sure, I'll help you by doing stuff in America to jack them up. And he secretly plots to take over the world himself. And when he gets to America, he finds Fritz Foltzman and says, hey, you're going to help me take over the world, or I'm going to go tell the authorities that you ran Auschwitz, and then you have to go to prison. Mm. He's like, okay, I'll help you take over the world. Uh, he was the Claw's chief lieutenant throughout that series. He he's has kinda, aged up a bit here. He's kind of Red Skull-like, then. Like, mm-hmm. like, at first working for the government and then kind of doing his own thing? Yeah, yeah. Actually, that's a good comparison, yep. 
Um, and he has a daughter. Did he have a daughter in the fifties? Yes. Yeah, so one and her, will they, won't they with Jimmy Woo? Because even though she did not agree with yellow claws ambitions, she also was loyal to him and didn't want to work against him. So she would occasionally help out Jimmy Woo, but it's always reservedly. Cause that's her dad. Yeah. Or uncle. I really thought it was daughter, oh. but he calls her niece in this. So oh, he does, wrong. doesn't he? Yeah. Why did I think daughter? Weird. And it might even be like great uncle. There might be an extra generation there because he's old and she's young. They've de-aged him a bit in this. He is a really? wizened. Yeah, he's a wizened raisin of a man in the first issue of the <laughs> comic. Was he? Does he? Is he robotic like he is in this? In no, the no. Okay. He's just wearing like you know. Yeah, just a robe. Yeah, storytelling. Chinese garb. Mm. Um, we are definitely too deep into the Marvel universe for anybody to say it can only be the workout. <laughs> You're right. Like I thought the same thing when I read that, like there are so many people that this could be the work of, except the style is definitely not very Dr. Doom, I guess, but right. Uh, or red skull, but it could still be the Mandarin. Every time lately we've said the word Mandarin, I've thought of the Bo Burnham song. Do you know Bo Burnham? I don't think I do. No. He is a uh, musical comedian. He has a couple oh. of things on Netflix. Um, his second one that he does has this song where he's talking about um, modern country Western music and how it's just okay. like, it's just taking a lot of things people like about country music and putting them in a blender and making a song. Uh-huh. And uh, the, 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 um, the chorus keeps talking about how they're pandering to their audience so he comes up with like eight words over the course of the song that rhyme with pandering. And one of them is Mandarin. <laughs> I could talk in Mandarin, but I'd still be pandering. Oh, God. Yeah. Anyways, it's a funny as heck song. Highly recommend. Bo Burnham pandering. Go YouTube that. Yes. Go YouTube that. Or I'll go YouTube that. So um, that's all I've got for this. Unless you yeah. have something else. No, not really. I mean, it's. Two issues, two issues of setup with a little bit of Fantastic Four in there. I guess Cap's going to be here for round three, though. Mm-hmm. And a scourge shucking oh, upon you. Oh, God. Yeah, it's called Doctor Strange. By the wildly waving wand of Stan Lee is cast this Raymond Murray, I guess it's Ramon Murray, uh, Dan Atkins' work of wondrous wizardry lettered by Al Kurzrock. For the sake of humanity, Doctor Strange. Oh, wait, no, no, I'm sorry. For the sake of humanity, Doctor Strange has helped the evil <laughs> Baron Mordo yeah. gain the additional powers of the awakened mystics of mankind. But now that most sinister of sorcerers has turned on our mystic master of magic because of course he did and treacherously defeated him. And he's standing over Doctor Strange in full like comic book supervillain wizard garb. Not even like old ancient one robes that he used to wear. He's got like a costume going on now. Mm-hmm. And he's pouring his evil magics into Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange is like, oh no, the living tribunal. He's going to destroy the world if you don't stop. And Baron Mord is like, yeah, I don't care. I'm sending you to another dimension. And you're never going to show up again here, so goodbye. Oh, no. So he gathers his soulless slaves, all the other mystics, and says, all right, I'm going to give you some of your power back. You're going to do exactly what I want you to do, and we're going to ravage the cosmos. So we go and check on Doctor Strange, who's floating through Ditko space. And he lands on a Ditko ball, 
<laughs> which is like a disco ball. But mm-hmm. I did go. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. And he's like, huh. I didn't know this had a trap door in it. Who knew the Ditko balls had trap doors in them? They do. He falls inside. And inside is like a slime falling from the ceiling, kind of like a Dungeons and Dragons comics. Mm. And um, there's this like um, flying slime bat thing. Anyways, he zaps it with magic. And then he's just like in space looking at Saturn, thinking about how cool it was and how much he was a fool to have tried to use Baron Morda without, you know, being smart. And now the Living <laughs> Tribunal is going to destroy the world. And we change scenes to Victoria Bentley. Oh. Who is approaching the climax of her own fateful inner struggle. And she knows that she needs to obey Baron Mordo, but she's also compelled to distrust him. And she wants to figure out what is the link she feels between herself and Doctor Strange. Oh, wait a second. Now I remember Doctor Strange saved my life and I saved his the like second time he ever fought Baron Mordo. What a quinky dink. And my dad died in that story, but I'm not going to talk about that. Um, instead, I'm going to send myself, no, she doesn't send herself. Instead, I'm going to get teleported into a weird dimension and Doctor Strange is going to help her once he finishes fending off this caterpillar centipede thing. Um, and he's like, <gasps> I can hear a woman crying and that's exactly what I need to motivate me to be Doctor Strange. So he goes after and he sees Doctor Mandible or some other giant ant person fighting or about to attack Victoria Bentley. He zaps it with his magics and the ant says, "Ee!" and falls over. And Doctor Strange is like, oh, look. It's Victoria Bentley. I remember her from issue 114. This is great. And behind them, correction mortals. I It was not Baron Mordo, but I who drew the female here to join you in carrying out my sublime plan. I am the wonder of wonders. Nebulos, Lord of the Planets Perilous. Next issue, Return to Earth. Finally, we get to Nebulous. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so like Living Tribunal or Eternity, but this one didn't stick, I guess. No, he, I think, lasts this story arc and that's it. But uh, yeah. yeah, boy. Um, Marie Severed is no longer an artist. Oh no, you're right. She, she has moved over to Brand Eck, the parody comic that has recently launched. She's uh-huh. still our main artist in the Hulk strip. Mm-hmm. Um, but Dan Atkins is this, and we've seen Dan Atkins here and there. He's on our last two X-Men's. He's done some recent Submariners. He's actually going to do a little run on Dr. Strange. And then we're going okay. to see him basically as just an inker after that. Inked by Dan Atkins is a much more common credit in Marvel's history than drawn by Dan Atkins. And is Raymond Maris not new? I guess He's not. not new. He's been around a little bit, but he has a very short term at Marvel. He's almost gone. That's, I'm kind of happy about that, I guess. Because it's not working for me, this storyline. I don't know. Yeah, hmm. they keep on bringing in a new artist or bringing in a new writer, but the story keeps on going, hmm. The only thing I like about it is page six, kind of. Flipping back just, to page six. That's just because it harkens Victoria. back to a lady that we kind of liked for five seconds. Right. But then she gets pulled in. I guess I don't know why, so I can't judge that part of the story. I don't know why Nebulous brought her here, but... Right. Uh, yeah. It's kind of handy that she was able to get caught up on her own backstory right before she became yes. important to the current story. Yes, of course. 
So are they saying that the evil that escaped is making good people evil too? Like she wasn't evil before. Right. I don't know. I don't know why she has gone to do this stuff for Mordo. She doesn't you, either, you, apparently. And maybe is, is she unique or is there something special about why she's there? Or are you right? Is she one of many, you know, otherwise good intentioned people who have been corrupted by this? Maybe that's what uh, the living tribunal's problem is with all this. Like it corrupts good. I didn't dig Dr. Strange himself through a lot of this aimless floating with some unreasoning sense that something should be happening. That's not my bag. No, but that is Dr. Strange's bag historically. So seemed pretty, uh, like you said, it was a a Ditko verse and it totally is, but it's like not nearly as interesting as how he would have done it. So Mm -hmm. in a way it's like a lame Ditko verse kind of. And Baron Mordo's new design looks like Doctor Strange has been beaten by Kmart Doctor Strange. <laughs> Target versus Walmart. Right? Yeah. Yeah, it's a little bonkers. But hey, at least he has an outfit now. Not Gosh. a great place to end the episode, but I did not love this. Yeah, it's never great when we end on Doctor Strange, is it? He might be another Mm-mm. contender again. I'm going to stop being so nice to him, I think. We'll see. We shall see. We shall see what else comes from this month. Speaking of things coming from this month, yep. next episode, we're going to cover four more comics. Unless we cover more, Tales of Suspense 94, where we're going to have Captain America up against MODOK. Daredevil Annual 1. What? Featuring oh, no. Electro and his emissaries of evil. So hijinks for even more pages. 39 yep. pages. Oh, my God. Okay. What if I told you there's no Mike Murdoch in it? Well, that seems impossible, seeing as how he set himself up, but okay. <laughs> we have Thor 144, the one you've been waiting for, this battleground Earth, where Thor's grabbing a scepter on the cover. Uh. And more Daredevil, issue 32, to fight the impossible fight. So um, next episode is quadruple D time. Wow. That's never happened. It's never happened. And are All right. we reading Dr. Daredevil 32 first and then the annual, or are we reading the annual first? Because it comes out first. So it's a little bit, yeah, it's a little bit weird with the way we order. Daredevil 32 is the first book of a new week. Okay. So Daredevil Annual 1 came out two weeks before it. Okay. I'm down with that. But it, it kind of stands on its own. It's not really part of the ongoing Daredevil stuff. We'll have to slot it in somewhere. That is how the world experienced Marvel, so that's how I'm going to explain. Sounds good to me. Yeah. So where can they find us? You can go to, speaking of experiencing Marvel, you can experience, you can experience Make Ours Marvel by going to makeoursmarvel.com, or you can type Make Ours Marvel into your favorite podcast app, or you can go to the website and look for a link to your favorite podcast app or a generic RSS feed or our groups on Twitter or Facebook, or you can use our contact form to write us or write directly to podcast at makeoursmarvel.com. Also on that page is a PayPal link. I want to say thank you to everybody who has supported the show. It's been fantastic to see um, those names that we've, we've seen in emails and seen on Twitter uh, coming through with support for the show and more tangible methods. That's pretty fantastic. Thank you, everyone. And um, you should also follow me and Mike on Twitter. We are good people. We like comics. And we'll talk to you about how we like comics if you follow us at John Reads Comics and Kaiser the Great. The show is on Twitter at Make Ours Marvel. And uh, yeah, that wraps us up for yet another week. Yeah. So be here next time for more Marvel comics. And until then, 
or until Foswell gets reincarnated into the Superman comics, make ours marvel.